0: Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. How much time do you invest in your brain? Well, look, our brain dictates so many things. It's our largest asset. We've got to look after it, right? But often we're putting things on our skin and we're doing all these other things that care for our bodies, but our brain dictates so much. I came across a product a wee while ago called Flow State, and it's made such a difference. And look, they offer functional mushrooms that sharpen cognition. They really boost energy and definitely strengthen immunity. And they actually use uh, one of their key ingredients is lion's mane, right? So, lion's mane is popular among really peak performing athletes and those wanting an edge. It's known as the brain mushroom and it's currently being studied extensively for its nerve growth factor potential as a means to ease the symptoms of Alzheimer's and for treating inflammation in the body. Now, look, the thing I love about these products. They don't taste like mushrooms. You can mix them in with your tea. They're a great replacement for coffee. But I actually love the PM mushroom blend, the evening one. It really helps me sleep. And to know that my brain is getting extra nutrients is just next level. The one thing that's really important for me is, hey, what's in there. So they've tested heavily at Hill Laboratories for heavy metals, pesticide residue, microbials, and also at Massey University for active compounds. So I urge you, if you love your brain and you want to go the extra mile to nurture it, head on over to flowstate.nz and you can use the coupon code LEADONPURPOSE to get 15% off. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get home And I think, what am I eating tonight? It's the last thing I want to do. I don't know what to cook. I don't know what's in the cupboard or in the fridge. And it often leads to poor choices like ordering some takeaway. So recently, Caroline and I started eating green dinner table. And it's absolutely amazing. After a long day when I'm knackered, I know that when I get home, there's going to be a great recipe and all the ingredients I need right there in the fridge. And look, I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for several months and it means I don't have to think at the end of the day. And I just know that I'm going to get good, nutritious, wholesome food. And look, it's plant-based, which has so many benefits. So if you're a meat eater, perhaps you might want to start on maybe just three, like a three-day plan. So you've got three evening meals for you and your partner or you and your family, depending on what option you want to go for. But the food is delicious. It's so nutritious. And it means we don't need to think. And as leaders of families, teams, organizations, what we put in our bodies is just so crucially important. So I urge you to go and check it out. And I want to give you 20% off your first order. So you can go to greendinnertable.co.nz and use the coupon code PURPOSE. You're in for such a treat. We have one of the world's greatest of all time leaders and coaches. Sir Steve Hansen was the head coach of the All Blacks, New Zealand's national rugby team. He was head coach from 2012 to 2019 and won the 2015 Rugby World Cup. Steve is arguably one of the best head coaches that New Zealand has ever seen The successes during Steve's eight years in the role are too numerous to list, but among them are eight Bledisloe Cup wins, six rugby championship wins, and of course, the World Cup. Steve was appointed a Companion of New Zealand Order of Merit in the 2012 Queen's Birthday Honours. Look, this episode was recorded live in front of an audience of leaders from all over Australia and New Zealand. They came together for my High Performance Leadership Programme in October 2022. And Steve shared so much. It was incredible. So please do enjoy it. And I want to take a moment to say a huge thank you, heartfelt thank you to our platinum partners, VVV Real Estate and Brannigans. We hugely appreciate your support with the High Performance Leadership Program. And if you would like to come and join us for HPL Live 2023, we will be opening the doors soon. And we will sell out really quick like we did last time. So if you'd like to know before everybody else and get that seat at the table with some of the most incredible leaders, then please head over to jjlockland.com and go to the leadership training, training and leadership section. You'll see that you can add yourself to the wait list for 2023. You'll be the first then to hear about the event. But for now, sit back and enjoy the show. Now, we're so fortunate, so lucky to have Sir Steve Hansen come and join us today, and I'm excited to talk about what I geek out on, and that is leadership, and I think we can all agree here that Steve is a phenomenal leader, has an incredible track record, and uh, looking forward to unpacking that, having a bit of fun, so welcome.
1: Yeah, thanks very much, great to be here, and good to see everyone enjoying themselves. Hopefully you are after I've finished. (laughs)
0: I love it So Steve, I thought maybe we could start off by just talking about leadership So when you think of good leadership, what comes to mind?
1: Uh, I I guess the first thing for me about leadership is being able to lead yourself I think that's where it starts So for us and any of the teams that I was involved with, I, I expected everyone to be a leader you know, and, and that looked like being able to organise yourself, being able to prepare well, um, to be able to just do the things that on and off the field that were expected of you. We didn't have a lot of rules in the All Blacks, but we had high expectations. And some of them were non-negotiable and others were. But um, once you start to be able to lead yourself, then you can start to think about leading other people if you've got that, the ability to do that. Now, not everyone does. Um, You have to to grow that Like one of the greatest leaders we ever had Was Richie McCaw But he also was accused of being one of the worst You know we lost the World Cup in 207 Nothing to do with how he played But um, a lot of With how we conducted Our preparation for that World Cup really Um, But because we weren't successful He was seen to be not successful What came from that adversity was he was determined to be the best he could be. So he grew, he became more demanding. Um, leaders set the environment. So if your environment's good, your talent can blossom and grow. If your environment's a little bit stagnant or a bit rotten, you know, people aren't gonna grow in it. So I think, you know, the key thing is lead yourself. When you are given the opportunity to lead others make sure you've got a plan on how do you want to lead. And and it sounds pretty simple, but I was in the police force for a number of years and we'd have sergeants. I never went any further than a constable, but we had sergeants who were brilliant sergeants and then they became senior sergeants and they were terrible because they thought they had to be different. And what made them great leaders as sergeants was still going to make them a great leader as a senior sergeant, but they thought they had to be different. So having a plan on how you want to lead. So do you want to be a dictator? Do you want to be an empowerer? Or do you want to be a combination of both? Uh, Have you got flexible thinking? It's not always important that it's your idea. Can you be flexible enough to hear other people's ideas? How good are you adapting in the moment or adapting to what's happening around you, the conversation you're having? uh, Often hear people say, oh, you know, I've got an open-door policy, and then you speak to the staff and they go, we don't go in there because one person went in and he or she screamed our heads off, so, shit, we're not going back there. (laughs) So, you know, and and reflect on it too. I reckon good leaders will take the time to reflect, how did I go in leading the people I'm trying to lead? And when, when I say, you know, you empower them, like for me, my job in the All Blacks was pretty simple. I just sort of helicoptered over the top. But we had a we had a whole um, station of different groups. So we had the players' group, which Karen um, and Richie were the two captains during my time, were the main captains. We had a um, a mental skills group, who which included the medical and so forth, and Gilbert and Oka ran that. We had logistics and commercial, which Darren Shan ran. And then we had the coaching team and I, I wanted Fozzie to run that rather than me run it because I, I wanted him to grow a voice and, and my job was to make him better so he could come over and at some stage maybe take over the team. So in that, uh, my responsibility was to make sure everyone was ticking along quite nicely and not interfere too much. Um, so my my plan or my theory was, okay, I don't need to do anything until such time as I can see something that's not going to help the team be better. So everything I worked on was, is this going to make the team better? If you could do something during the week that wasn't having a massive uh, risk or reward for Saturday, then you didn't have to tell me about it. If if you were going to try and change something that we'd never done before which could have a detriment or a, a positive outcome on Saturday, then I wanted to know about it. Because I wanted input on that. Um, I had to know or have enough knowledge about our conversations with all those people. So, your leader, your top leader, needs to understand the business or, or the game they're in. As an example, um, our strength and conditioning um, guy, a guy called Nick Gill, probably the best uh, I've ever worked with and been lucky enough to work with a good one. So, he, he was really great. But we had a player called Dan Carter, you might remember him. <laughs> He uh, he started pulling a calf all the time, and we couldn't work out why. And um, so, I don't know. A bit of my background is horse racing. I grew up on a farm, and my father was a trainer, and as well as a dairy farmer. So, understood the mechanics of horse racing. So, biomechanically, uh, Danny's not the greatest. Um, So, I knew that from horses. If they weren't, you know, they, they could still run fast if they had bent knees But they just couldn't do it for a, a whole lot of years And they couldn't carry extra weight So I went to Dan and said, what, when the, was the last time that you didn't pull your hammi, uh, your calf? And he goes, oh, back in such and such a date." And I said, oh yeah, what weight were you? And he goes, oh, it was only 93 k's and you've all seen him in the jockey ads. He's not carrying any extra. So <laughs> I said, uh, I said, well, what are you now? And he said, oh, I've put a bit more muscle on. I'm 95. So oh, yeah. I said, okay. So then I went to Gilly and I said, why don't we take two K off him and see if he stops pulling his calf? And we discussed it. So we did. We took the two K off him. He never pulled his calf again. So that was my job to be have enough knowledge to be able to be a nuisance, but also be a help. And, and um, you know, you get a lot of accolades for what we did, but it was a team, you know, t- total team... Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A team effort, you know, to get that, that group of people to play as well as we did. And it's the same in business. Like, you can be the head show, but... You're not going to be any good if you, if you don't let your other leaders lead and you do what you do well. Yeah. Thank you.
0: And in terms of leading self, like I firmly believe leading self allows you to lead others, but when you're leading yourself and say in your younger years, so we rewind a few years in your leadership with the leadership hat on, how did you develop yourself? What was personal development, professional development like for you?
1: Uh, well, lucky enough for me, I've always been reasonable, simple sort of a bloke. And uh, I find that the simpler you can give the message, the easier it is for people to hear it. And I think, you know, it's the things they want to know is do you care about them? Do you value them? Can you help them? And can they trust you? So if they know all those things that you'll do that, um, then they'll take the times when you have to be, a, you know, a, a disciplinarian, and sometimes we have to because it's no different than our children. Like if there's no consequences for bad behaviour, then the bad behaviour is just going to continue. And and um, so, you know, as I said, we don't have rules, but we have expectations. So when those expectations are broken, then there's a consequence. However, if uh, for example, you've got an athlete and we, we had one through my time. He was hard work but we loved him and, and he, he knew that we had his back and he allowed us to help him to change and become a better person. You know, we had a theory, if you change the man or change the man, so if you can't change him, out you go. But he changed and we were prepared to give him the time to change. So I think that's something else too. That's your job as the leader is to say, right, have we given this person the, the best opportunity to be better? Or are we just saying, no, you're gone? And, and I guess sometimes there's, there's times when, yeah, you're gone, but your job is to actually make them better. Yeah, that's why you've been given the opportunity to lead. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And the vulnerability, I think, you know, that's how you get the trust. Like I, I didn't ever feel, I, I probably did when I first started coaching, I felt... I had to know everything, um, and but I, I didn't, and I still don't. But what what's better is if you get asked the question, well, how do I do this? Well, actually, I don't know, but I'll find someone that does and we'll get that sorted. Give me some time. And then it's okay for them to come back sometimes and say, well, you know, I don't know. Uh, we'd often have excuse me, discussions around role, like, The key thing for us to be able to perform well is everybody knew their role and did their role. So it's quite simple. However, sometimes guys didn't understand their role because we hadn't taught them well enough or they hadn't been brave enough to say, I don't understand. So if you've got people in your organisation who aren't brave enough uh, to say, look, I don't understand what you're asking me, they just go, oh, yeah, yeah, right, right," and then they go away and they perform the task terribly, it's because there's a breakdown between you and them and the trust. Now, if you get to the point where you, know, you spent quite a lot of time teaching that human being how to do the job and they still can't do it, well, it comes back to what I just said before. If you can't change the man, you change the man. and He just may not be the right person for the job. But first and foremost, have a look at, OK, why isn't he, why isn't he or she feeling brave enough to say to me, oh, I don't understand? And, and when you get that relationship, then you hum it. Because no one's going to go out and make a mistake because they don't know their role. And Steve, who would you say sets the tone for the culture of the team or organisation? Oh, the head, head man does. So top down. Yeah, the top, top down. And like your culture, everyone talks about culture, and there's really, it's not that difficult culture. It's either good or it's bad.
0: <laughs> so true.
1: It's as simple as that, and and, and it, when it's good, it's being lived from the top down. When it's bad, the top think the bottom should do it, but they don't care about it. So, like, don't think that you're the boss and people don't see what you're doing. And you know, one of the my worst traits is I'm hopeless with timekeeping, absolutely hopeless. So I could arrive sometimes late, and I knew I'd been late to a couple of meetings, so. And no one had said anything and you know I'd come in and say, Oh sorry, you know, and it means nothing, you know, because you were late. And so I got Kevin Mealamu, who was probably the most respected guy on our team, and I said, Kevy, next meeting, well today's meeting, I'm gonna come in a bit late and I want you to give me a you know an absolute bollocking. <laughs> and he goes, Oh Steve, I don't think I can do that. And I said, Yes you can. You'll be right. And anyway, so I come in and I'm about two minutes late and he didn't hesitate. <laughs> but it was brilliant. Like everybody in the room's ass moved from the back of the chair to the front of their chair and like, everyone's on real alert. Jesus, the boss is getting it. <laughs> and, you know, then my reaction to getting it was, well, you're right, Kevin. you know, I've got to sort my shit out. And as a result, you know, okay, well, we didn't have too many people late from then on, and I certainly wasn't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you were early today.
1: Well, I was, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And if we could go back to the earlier days of coaching, was there any moments or years or seasons that were particularly memorable because they didn't go well and you learned a lot from those times?
1: There's two moments that stand out in my career. Um, One was the second uh, or third year I was coaching. Coaching Canterbury and we, we, uh, the first year I coached the backs, uh, with a guy called Vance Stewart. The second year, Robbie Deans took over the team and he was head coach and wanted to do the backs. So I then had to learn how to be a forward coach. And I know I look like a prop, but I played in the backs. <laughs> and, uh, anyway, I became the Ford coach. So I had to learn a lot about it. And lo and behold, we won the competition the first year we, Robbie and I were together. And that winning then made me want to win more. Like, I'm probably the most competitive person on the planet. I like us, the kids, they don't, half of our family won't play cards with me because I cheat. <laughs> uh, I won't play any games. But, uh, well, I've, I've tried to change, but it's hard. <laughs> and I've got a, an alter ego called Stanley because he comes out. <laughs> and... Anyway, we'll, we won't talk about that. But <laughs> what happened that year is I became outcome-focused because I thought it was important that we had to win again and and I treated people poorly uh, because of that. Uh, I, I lost the care and the value and the empathy side of my coaching. And luckily enough, I recognised it at the end of the year and sat down with the group and apologised to them and said, look, I've stuffed this year up. And it happened again... Um, in 2000, when were the Lions here, 2017, I really wanted to beat the Lions, you know, because we were playing uh, what I thought was probably one of the great Lions teams. They had a New Zealand coach coaching them, and, that you know, when you're playing against your brother, you always want to beat your brother. And it became quite personal, and I allowed, again, the outcome to affect how I coached. So same scenario, worked it out. And funnily enough, my wife told me about two-thirds into the season, but I didn't listen to her, <laughs> and which was stupid because she's very good. Anyway, uh, end of the year, I had to sit down with the boys again and say, hey, listen, I've stuffed this up. And look, whilst uh, it was hard to do, it was the right thing to do, and you get the boys back again because they think, Geez, we lost Steve there for a year, but he's back. And as I said to you, you know, you'll get them to run through brick walls if they know you care about them, that you love them, that you value them as human beings. And yet they're quite happy to, to get a growling if they need a growling, but they know that you've got their back, uh, you know, when the proverbial hits the, the wall, then you know, they'll come with you. So when you're treating them poorly because you're worried about winning all the time, You know, it's not right So we sorted that out and we got back on it And I was just saying before World Cup 2019 Everyone tells me we had a poor World Cup And I look at them And I really want to say, you What we didn't What we did do was There was five teams during that period Just before and after the World Cup Who were number one in the world We were one of them And we played the other four and we beat three of them and we had one bad week and lost England so did we have a bad World Cup? No we didn't, we had a bad week and and, and there's reasons why we had a bad week you know when, in hindsight, hindsight's a wonderful thing um, however you know it's part of the learning process isn't it you know you, you, you grow and you get bigger but uh, I retired so we didn't get to use that but the team did and you know like This is a team that had gone hardly with any adversity through a long period of time, Um, and you know I I think adversity is necessary because you become a little arrogant, you become complacent, you become uh, expect you know you're expectant. Oh, that'll happen. You know, we don't have to turn up and. It's only like a I, I, I talk about the windows. You clean the windows, but it, you haven't done the corner bit, so the windows look clean, but they're not. You know, the five percent's not just been done right. And when you get one on the you know on the chin, you get the the corners get cleaned. And and there's a thing called inconvenient facts. We we had five. I'll talk about the five lanes that we had, but the number three lane was inconvenient facts. And there are things that are happening in your team, in your environment, uh, that will have an effect on the outcome at some point if you don't address them. But because you're being successful, you're papering over them. No one wants to talk about them. You know, it's the elephant in the room, but no one wants to feed the elephant. And, you know, obviously we, we are no different to any other team. We had them because we, when you're successful, you, you do. Get to a point where you you, you believe you're going to win, and but you forget that you actually have to put the work in to one. And um, yeah, that week we, we didn't get it right. However, you know I console myself by saying, well, we got it right, you know, a lot of other times. And, and that sport, you know, you can't change it. You can learn from it. Mm. Thanks for
0: sharing that. And you and I chatted prior just about decisions and we have over the last day and a half talked about decision making and I love that you said hey it's it's easy to make decisions when when you're sitting on your armchair and there's no pressure but making the good decisions under pressure that's the true test Mm. Uh, how did you approach that
1: well the, the first thing I had to work out was what caused pressure for me what caused pressure for other people in the team the coaching group and and it's different for all of us um so, once, once we establish that, well, there is pressure, like that's the one constant thing if you're in the All Blacks, it's just every day. You know, whether you're walking down the street, whether you're playing a game, people are watching what you're doing, and look, he's not walking very good, is he? Oh, what's wrong with him? You know, he scratches his nose when he should be using his right hand instead of his left hand. You know, and then if you're watching, then I did my right hand and then my left hand. So, i got them around the wrong way. <laughs> And, you know, like, but everybody's watching. And, and that's okay, you know, because everybody cares. You want everyone to care about our game because if they don't care, they don't turn up and you, you know, you don't have all the things that we have. So they do, but we have to acknowledge to ourselves that that's just constant. So get over it. You know, the sky's blue and the grass is green and you're under pressure. So what? So once you get that, it's actually not so heavy. Then the next step is right. Let's have the awareness of what makes me uh, feel pressure, and then from that step, the next step is right. What's my plan? What am I? What am I going to put in place when I feel this happening? When I recognise this is happening, bang, I'm going to go to this. Okay, because if you go like that without a plan, you'll never find one. Like, again, give you an example of that. Excuse me. 2007. Everyone said, "Why didn't you go for a drop goal?" You know. Well, it was the obvious thing to do. But I, I, I'd go back to people and go, "Well, when was the last time you've seen anyone in the All Blacks do a drop goal?" And prior to 2007, we hadn't done any. So, in the under the most pressure, why would you pull out of your backside something you've never done before? Oh, shit! I'll do a drop goal. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and by the way, I'll be I'll be successful at it. Yeah, so <laughs> you've got a plan for those things, and and uh, we would talk a lot about in our preparation. Right, this is what we want to happen, but what if this happens? What do we go to then, and have a plan for that uh, individually and collectively as a group. So you know, players, when I say know your role, do your role, that's all part of it. preparing yourself for for an event on Saturday, that's the fun part. Like, I'd still be playing at 63. I'd still play rugby on Saturday now if I didn't have to, you know, do all the training. (laughs) I would, because I I love the game. But unfortunately, if you don't do all the training, you're going to get smoked. (laughs) And two things, I'm very competitive, I don't want to get smoked, and also I'm 63 and I don't want to get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't play. However... You know that's just part of the parcel. So again, it's no different in business. If you're preparing for something that's, you know, a big part of the calendar year, then you got to make sure that you get it all right, and don't expect it to just roll down and happen for you. Like what? What? What in life does that? What happen once? If you're lucky enough to live to 80, it might happen once. This rolls down. There you go. You can have it. It's a freebie. The rest of it, you just gotta, there's gonna be bumps, road bumps all the time. And you gotta be prepared for those things. And how you react to those road bumps every, as a leader, everyone's looking at you. Oh, well, he's okay, he's calm, he's cool. Well, no biggie, we'll carry on doing what we need to do then. And, and getting people to understand that the difference between fact and feeling is massive bird out there feeling pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is when when things aren't going right, your emotions come on board and you feel all this emotional stuff that's not actually true because the facts are this is true. And being able to separate those two things allows you to go back to, okay, well, as an example, opposition, you've been on attack... They get an intercept try, scoreboard says it's now 12-3 to them and and you're all behind the goal line you think, oh, shit, you know, how they've beaten us. Well, actually, we've played all the rugby and if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to get a reward for it. But if we allow ourselves to surrender to that and we start thinking about the scoreboard or how we're emotionally feeling because they've just scored, then we, we lose our momentum. And I I think that's massive, being able to do that. Um, Yeah.
0: I believe we should all be taking shots. Yes, you heard me right. Every morning, I take a double shot of nutrient rescue. Reason being, well, the harmful Western diet of heavily processed food combined with our busy, stressful lives means that 60 to 70% of people are missing out on their five-a-day of fruit and veg. This micronutrient-poor diet has contributed to the modern epidemics of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and dementia. The studies prove it. Look, 87% of people who take the Nutrient Rescue shots reported feeling better within the first month. That's because 100% of the ingredients in Nutrient Rescue products are 100% grown in New Zealand. But look, don't take my word for it. Give it a try yourself using the code purpose, you will get a 15% discount. So head over to NutrientRescue.nz and that 15% discount goes across any of their superfoods, including their starter pack. So cheers to you. Joining me for some shots. Oscar de la Renta put it perfectly. Fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable. Style is more about being yourself and that's one thing i always try to do is try to be myself whether i'm interviewing a former head of state hanging with my family on the weekend or working with some of my incredible clients i try to always just be myself as much as possible and part of that is dressing accordingly but every now and then a special occasion will call for some special fashion and i am by no means any expert on fashion and that's why i'm delighted to partner with man's Muns is back and it's better than ever. Located in the beautiful Tannery Emporium on Garlands Road in Christchurch. It offers a huge range for men with suits for hire and sale, ties, jeans, waistcoats, hats, sunglasses, and more. So for all of your menswear needs, head along and check it out at muns.co.com. And you mentioned a minute ago about the non-negotiable. So there's not as many rules, and you know some societies and cultures and teams have don't do this and we can't do that. Uh, you had these non-negotiable high expectations. What what were they?
1: Uh, well, I'll start off why we did not have rules is because if you have rules, someone's going to break them, and if someone breaks the rules, there's got to be a consequence. So that might mean I can't pick somebody. So I don't have any. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Good thinking. Rules for me are there to guide the, the brave and inhibit the foolish. You know, like I've, I've spent the last couple of years in Japan and worked for a company called Toyota and they're very traditional and everything's rules. Their society is rule-based. So much so that there's a wee red line that points up the stairs and a green line pointing down. And it's I it did my head and I had to tell the bosses, that's got to go. You know, like we're big enough and smart enough to work out if someone's coming down the stairs on the left hand side, <laughs> I've got to go on the other side. Can we do that? Anyway, we have. So we've, we've, we've <laughs> progressed. We've progressed really well. And <laughs> and the reason why they're coming on board with it as a company is because they're struggling to keep young people. Our Generation Z kids don't want to be told what to do, they want to be given the opportunity to work it out for themselves. So they're, they're bright young Japanese kids who once used to always want to go to Toyota, don't want to go there or stay there. So they're slowly changing, and, and I'm having, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a little bit of um, communication with their HR department around that. But what was I talking about a second ago? I've yeah, been but
0: there
1: was a, there was a non-negotiable. Oh, non-negotiable. That's the question. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm getting away a wee bit old. Um, <laughs> for me, the non-negotiable things w- were, uh, team first and individual second. Didn't mean that we didn't care or value or have empathy for the individual. That was far from the truth. We did. But every decision we had to make was about making the team, it was about the team. So if this is a decision that is going to make the team better, then we have to make it. Um, and, you know, I always found that great for me as coach because I – got really close to players and a lot of people told me well, you can't get too close to them because you can't sack them when you have to and I go, well if I get close to them I then understand them and I can help them be better and I can help them make the team better And but if I've got to sack them, I'll sack them because it's right for the team. So if you can feel the difference there, uh, that was the one non-negotiable. Number two was that we would be aligned as a team uh, so, everyone would be aligned together, being given the opportunity to debate, to discuss whatever things we were setting down for our goals, our values, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and that would start with me and the other coaches, me and the other management, then the management and the leadership group, which was 10 senior players. And then we would then take it and give the, the rest of the team the opportunity to, to discuss it. An example of that was our, um, our big audacious goal for when I took over the team. We'd just won the World Cup. We were number one in the world. And in my presentation, I thought, well, you know, what what, what where are you going to take the team? They're going to ask you that. So what are you going to say? And I thought, well... Let's be a little bit un like and, and we'll say right over Let's be the most dominant team in the history of the game Now we, we, we don't ever have to answer that The people out there will answer it if we are And if we're not Well we will keep striving to be So I took that to other coaches And oh yeah they liked it And then talked to the management And a couple of people Oh do you think that's possible And I don't know But it's not going to be if we don't try and, and we had good discussions around it, and I'm trying to simplify it for you so I can get through the story. And then we took to the leaders, and you could tell the leaders, some of them didn't believe it initially, that we could do it, but they were excited by it, because all of a sudden we had these conversations starting to ramp up a bit. So they bought onto it, and we didn't change it, it just stayed the same wording, and then we took the players, and bang, there it was. And uh, we found that to be able to do that, we had to understand a few things about ourselves. And you often hear um, people talking about the legacy of the All Blacks. You know, we sat around the leaders group one day and I said, righto, we talk about our legacy and our identity. What is it? And no one could answer it. You know, and I would challenge you to go back to your company and say, "Right, what is our legacy of this company? What's our identity? What are we about? And, and can they answer that question? And if they can't, I'd suggest you make sure that you do something to change that so they can. What we did, we went and um, we spoke to all the living all-blacks, uh, everybody in the current squad, but all the past living all-blacks that were there and asked them what attributes they thought uh, made you know, the, a great all-black. And it took some time, but... We got some amazing answers, and we split it up into four or five different categories. won't go into them, but um, they then formed our, okay, that's our identity. So we need people like this. And that's what we strive to do. Um, and we went through a period you know where we were dominant, I think. However, you know we didn't win everything. Uh, But no no sports person does Like the greatest tennis player in the world Roger Federer, he doesn't win everything Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxer of all time He didn't win every boxing fight No sports person will ever win everything That's why it's called sport That's the beauty about it Um, However, that's where we got to So our alignment was really important The next thing that was non-negotiable Was that the leaders would drive it so I wanted the people that were on the park, uh, they, they would be the people that would be driving this team and we would just be at the back, push here, we push there, we nudge because uh, it's their team. And I can't come out of the grandstand and play the game. It wasn't good enough anyway to be able to do that. So, but they're out there, they're in that moment, so they have to drive the week. and, and yeah, So that, they were non-negotiable after that. Everything was negotiable, and and you know there was times when uh, it was always about majority, and there was times when I didn't agree with what we were doing, but I disagreed and committed to it because the majority said that's where we want to go. And when we did that, it was really important that the rules were: um, if you disagreed, and you well, you had to disagree and commit. But if it didn't work, you didn't then get up and do the wee hole and fling and say, ah, I told you, it wasn't my idea, that was all their idea. No, no, we're all in this together. And the same if it did work. You know, you couldn't turn around and say, well, you didn't want that idea. It was just, OK, it's worked for us or it hasn't worked for us. And the whole goal of that was to be able to get rid of all the poor ideas and get the good ideas and turn them into great ideas. So everyone, you know, like sometimes we have people chuck stuff in, um, wow, why, why, why would you think that? But, shit, that's a good idea. <laughs> we'll add that and, you know, it might have been the physio, it might have been the nutritionist. We didn't care where it came from. It might have been, you know, the guy that had only been two minutes in the team. Um, yeah, so robust discussions were really important. And that's not like an idea
0: meritocracy where like everybody in the room, you've, you've got validity to speak up and be yourself.
1: Uh, I'm pleased you said that last bit because the first bit I didn't understand. <laughs> You're not so like I, I told you I was a simple man. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah. But no, that's right. I mean, uh, you, you just want people to feel like they're part of it. If they feel like they're part of it, they own it. And if they own it, they'll take responsibility for it. And then, then you can fly. And you
0: yeah. mentioned a little bit... Uh,
1: Just around
0: expectations earlier. So, when you've got external expectations, whether that's through media, whether that's through New Zealand rugby, when when that's on you, when the heat's on you, and we've seen that in recent months where it's just been borderline atrocious, how do you manage that personally? And then, how do you carry the team through that when there's all these outward expectations?
1: Uh, Well, you talked earlier about some of the areas I improved on. My media sort of improved a wee bit. Um, (laughs) I, I had the attitude that A, I didn't trust them, B, I didn't like them, so that's not a good combo. And C, my job was to protect the plaques. So when I was assistant coach, I followed the lead from our head coach and and um, so sometimes you you may not have agreed but you've disagreed and committed to that lead. So, But I just didn't want the media picking on the plaques. You know, like half the media and got no idea about the game anyway and the other half know nothing about it. So really, who are they to be you know, making these big audacious statements about players? And um, it came to a head in 2009. Um, we, we, we couldn't win a line-out. You know, we were changing how we were doing our line-out, and whenever you're changing it, there's always a dip before it gets better. And you know, we had two line-out jumpers. We had Jerry Collins, who... Magnificent rugby player, but didn't care about lineouts, so didn't know the calls. We had Richie, who couldn't jump at that point, and we had Rodney Suárez, who could just jump. So really, if you're the opposition, mark him and mark him, and that's the only two people I can chuck to. When we played South Africa, uh, we, we story they have beaten us twice already. We we're playing them for the third time in Hamilton, and they—they uh, they took our first two lineouts off us, and we won the third one, and. Uh, Ma nah, passed the ball to Conrad, and Davilius and, um, intercepted it and scored under the post, and Bucky's both, who was the lock, and um, Victor Matfield, who was the other lock. They were the two best locks in the world at the time. Bucky's goes past Victor, and he says, Hey, Victor, do you think we should let them win another line-out? <laughs> <laughs> so that's where things were. So they weren't great, and... Um, you know, I was copping it left, right, and centre, and I don't mind that. Like I, I, I'd rather they were picking on me than the players. So I did not I did not care too much about that. But we, we, ended up getting to to Wellington. We were playing in Australia, and we just changed things up enough to know that I was okay. We've now got an extra jumper, and we're okay. And I didn't say any of this to the media because I thought mm, they can work it out themselves. <laughs> and. Um, I go into the meeting, there's Andrew Saville and, and Jim Case too. Jim Case has just started, he'd been a journalist and he just started doing TV for TV3. And uh, Saville's got a beard and Jim Case is just Jim Case. Anyway, Sev said, Oh, you know, what are you doing about the line Have you thought about bringing in so and so and so and so? And we'd brought all those people in. And, you know, so I said, Well, we've done that. I said, so there's no point in keep bringing them in. We've just got to we understand what we've got to do and we've just got to get better at it and we've got to be patient until we get good enough. And he goes to me, he said, Oh, do you think you can look yourself in the mirror? And I, oh, I'm clean shaven. So I go, yes, yeah, sir yeah, I look in it every morning when we'll I have a shave. I said, What about yourself? <laughs> and then and then I'd sort of come prepared to be a smart ass and uh Jack Gibson was a famous league coach, and he's dry as shit, and I quite like his humor and He would once said that you know they don 't build um, statues for critics, so I thought oh, i 'll chuck that in today <laughs> so so I go, well you know look if something critics you know something came up, and I said, "Look, understand people are." are are losing their patience, but they. I'm just asking them to be patient, you know, because look, at the end of the day, they're not going to build any statues for critics, are they? You know, and Jim Gaze couldn't have himself, and he goes, "Well, do you think they'll build one for you?" <laughs> so me being me, I go, "No, Jim, I don't," and I definitely know they won't be building one for you either. <laughs> and I understood that all they were really for me was an opportunity to send them the messages I wanted. The fans to hear to the point where if they asked me a question uh, and I didn't want to answer it, I'd talk about some other stuff that I wanted to talk about. And um, inherently, they're quite lazy, so they'll just write what you tell them. So I just told them what I wanted, and you know, a couple of times someone asked me questions, and I just blanked them and went straight into some other thing. Like they would have thought, gee he's a and, and He didn't even answer the question. <laughs> what was he going over there? But they wrote it. And after the first time, like, oh, we're away here <laughs> <You're> in <beautiful>. Munich. <laughs> so, but yeah, and tried. Look, I tried to be as honest as I could be with them too. And when I couldn't be honest with them, I would just say, look, I can't tell you. It's not because I don't want to. It's just out of respect of what we're trying to do. I can't tell you. And then there was other other times when I would say, right, oh well, here's what we're trying to. do. You write what, whatever you want, but I want you to be informed. So here's what we're trying to do So you understand what we're trying to do Versus what you think we're doing Now write what you want And and that's softened them a lot too Because they got to understand uh, The game a bit better of how we were trying to play So Because I changed And you know, they changed And you know, people Often talk about um, pers- you know, Your um, Perception And yeah, One thing I have learnt is that perception is, uh, is someone's reality. So how someone sees you is how they see you. And if you don't like how they see you, don't ask them to change because they can't. What has to change is you. I can I can only change your perception of me by <coughs> me changing the things that I'm doing to make if you, if you have negative perceptions, then I have to change those myself. I can't ask you to change. Well, why would you change? You know, you're not an investor. In but if I want you to think that I'm a nice man, and then I have to act like a nice man. If I act like a weirdo, then you're going to have that perception. I'm not, by the way. <laughs> you're a good man. Well, I'm not sure about good man, but I'm okay.
0: <laughs> Steve, I'd love to talk a little bit just before we wrap up about being a high performing leader. Across a long period of time, and how that has impacted positively or negatively your family life?
1: I'd um, put a, a bit of both, really, uh, from a positive side of things, like um very proud uh get to make some good money i suppose and off that they get good things um good opportunities to travel and see the world and um but there's negative things too um
0: It's interesting cause we were chatting today and I think we all feel this as leaders, as parents, um, as siblings, that when we're committed to our work, that there's big sacrifices uh, that have to be made sometimes and it's tough. It's really tough.
1: Yeah. Like you just heard it on the head, though. they make all the sacrifices. I, I, I got to travel the world, stay in five-star hotels and when you're the head coach, you get the big room, so get a lounge, get, get your drinks. Um, but there at home, having to, um, my wife particularly, having to do all the hard work, you, you miss a lot of birthdays, you miss a lot of things that your kids do. Um, just lucky, I guess, that we're a blended family, so my wife's uh, been great at bringing our, our family together. Yeah.
0: Well, Steve, we talked earlier, and uh, it was it was beautiful just hearing you talk about your children and what they're doing as adults, and how proud you are of what they're doing. So, uh, I would say that your career has impacted a lot of what they do. And you know, what are your children up to these days?
1: All well, the six of them with the Brady Bunch. Um, <laughs> our oldest daughter Whitney's coaching the Black Ferns. Um, incredibly proud of her. Uh, she's a teacher. Um, real good human being. Uh, Jess, she's an officer in the army, she's a psychologist in the army and um, is starting to dabble in sports psychology. Uh, Johnson is the next one, he's 24, he's in Brisbane. Uh, he went over there wanting to be a, a professional league player, uh, didn't have the talent to do that but wasn't for us to say you don't have the talent. He had to go and work it out himself, and he's worked that out. Um, but he's fallen on his feet. He's he's a real good person, uh, people person. He's working in HR for um, recruiting, accountants, and having a ball at 24, Brisbane. Well, it's pretty cool. Funny story about him. He's he's uh, he lives basically on his own. There's him and another bloke, and and we went over there. And his mate was away on holiday. And uh, we said, Oh, well, we'll come around for a Barbie. He said, oh, I don't have a barbecue. <laughs> and I said, OK, well, we'll sort one out. So we bought him a barbecue, you know, because the kids back home get a lot of incidentals and he's over there on his own. So we bought the barbecue and we put it together. And anyway, uh, so oh, we'll come around Monday night and have a Barbie. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. So. Um, he said, oh, do you reckon you could pick up some meat and <laughs> <laughs> a few beers on the way? I said, yeah. So not only did we buy the barbecue, we bought all the food, Tash made all the salads and the beer. We bought the beer and he cooked the steak. And then I go to him, well, any chance of getting a beer, mate? He said, oh, you know where the fridge is. <laughs> and I, I couldn't help myself. So I gave it to him. I said, hey, boy. And I said, you know, like, you, you're the host. I said, I don't mind paying for everything, but I wouldn't mind you getting off your ass and getting me a beer. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, right. So he's he's doing okay. Uh, next one is Riley. She's uh, in her fourth year at university uh, law, so she's flying. Uh, Taylor and Ollie are both twenty, about a month apart. Um, Ro- uh, Tails is down in uh, Dunedin. She's going to save the planet. She's a greenie. Would end up in Raglan making coffee, but <laughs> <laughs> she's pretty, she's very, very chilled individual. I love it a bit. And, uh, Oles has just left the army. He was a carpenter in the army uh, doing his apprenticeship, and, um, he's moved back to Christchurch and taken up his apprenticeship here. So they're, they're all doing well. Um, and, you know, as I said before, before I got all emotional, they are very tight as a family, and Tasha's done a wonderful job blending them, so.
0: Oh, thank yeah. you. Thank you yeah. for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your vulnerability. And I think that's really an important thing for us as leaders is to see iconic leaders that we look up to and aspire to to be authentic themselves and, and, and show that vulnerability. So I really
1: appreciate that, Steve. Yeah, no problem.
0: And just one last question before we throw it over to um, some Q&A. I always ask this at the end of an interview. And I want to fast forward. And Steve, this is many, many years into the future. It's your last day on earth. All right you've got five minutes left and you've got a really young person that's in your family, and maybe it's a grandchild, four or five years old, and they come up and they ask, Steve, our granddad, how can I lead my life on purpose? What advice would you have? How can I lead my life? How can you lead, how could they lead, lead their life
1: on purpose? Well, I think there's a, you talk a little bit about understanding who you are and what your identity is, I think. It's one of the problems we have with our, our young people today that, that our identity is made up of so many different things, yet we we focus it on one. I often think of it as an old wooden bridge, you know. And okay, at school, I want to be a rugby player, and that's all I can think about. And my life is successful if I'm good at it, or if I'm unsuccessful, I've been no good at rugby player. Yet I'm still a brother, I'm a student, I'm an uncle, I'm a son, blah, 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 blah. So those other planks are really important that we understand what they are and what they mean to us. So, you know, getting, my advice would be I'd talk through that process and then the last thing I'd say, well, find a purpose. You know, what's, what's your purpose of being on the planet? And, uh, you know, we've all got one. Sometimes we don't know what it is, but we've got one. And and, and then go for it, you know, and, and enjoy every minute that you're breathing because, you know, you spend a lot longer being dead than you do living. So don't waste any minute of it. Thank you.
0: Steve, I just want to say a heartfelt thank you for sharing your wisdom and uh taking the time to, to connect with us all today and uh just before we do go to Q and I think it's uh, time for us to put our hands together for Sir Steve. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks and leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.